Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. Big challenge is livelihood, stable, durable livelihood, which are uh, which provide them adequate means to not only you know function today, but also be able to improve their future. And I think one of the most interesting and important lesson has been that skills, knowledge, resources, these are all important. Somewhere, what actually really sort of triggers durable change is people's own sense of agency, you know, that, that I matter. I'm very pleased to introduce Deep Joshi. Deep is an Indian social worker and NGO activist, and co-founder of the pioneering Indian non-profit Professional Assistance for Development Action, Pradhan, of which he was the executive director until 2007. Pradhan's involved in building self-help groups, developing land and water resources, natural resource management, forest-based livelihood, horticulture and agriculture. Deep was awarded the 2009 MagSaySe Award for Community Leadership for his work for development of rural communities. He is also a recipient of the civilian honour of Padma Shri. Thank you very much, Deep, for taking the time today to speak to Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs podcast. It's a great honor to talk to you and have an opportunity to hear your story and the journey as a social innovator. And um, oh, I don't know whether, what should I say there? Sorry. How do you describe what you do? <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. We uh, call ourselves as NGO Wallas or... Uh... Uh, you know the the more sophisticated term is social social entrepreneur, um, um, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you know one is uh, you know, try to do something worthwhile, um, a sort of one way of living one's life. That's that's all. That's the way I look at it. Yes, absolutely. You've been active in this field for many decades and presumably in, at a time where the idea of social entrepreneurship wasn't well established at all. Yeah, that's you know, somewhere uh, in early 80s, uh, 1980s. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea of social entrepreneurship, I think people were beginning to talk about it. Um, but um, there was, uh, uh, you know, you know the way it is known today and over a period of time um you know people are beginning to think of uh, you know people who make investments and you know impact investing this that this was all uh, this was not known then at all it was basically that um uh, you know so yeah i mean when i started it was just simply uh, to do something um, in the field of development, that was that's how it all began. Can you talk a little bit about your first, your major project, and, and what was involved? You know, I um, am the sort of co-founder of uh, a uh, an Indian civil society organization, and we used to call it NGO in those days, but now it's uh, CSO um, called Pradhan, which was uh, set up in 1983 with the idea basically that you know people who had good education uh, ought to be um, you know giving a bit of their life their time uh, to work with uh, people in villages poor people to bring about change you know i you know i felt that 
um, while you need uh, money, you need other resources, but the major challenge really is uh, how to get uh, you know people who've got some empathies, who've got some ideas, who've got who had some good education. Can they um, you know work with the uh, you know poor communities? So that's how the organization started. As basically um, uh, you know what I didn't you know I keep saying you know you need both head and heart you know you need if you want to work with the very poor people to help them create choices to to expand their opportunities um you need knowledge resources you need material resources which generally is available from the governments uh, but more than anything else you need empathy you know you need to engage with people with a sense of uh, connect with them a sense of concern for other people um so that's that's what pradhan does it it in uh, inducts people uh, who had various uh, um, kinds of education in you know engineers and uh, people who got who been who've done a masters in sciences or social sciences whatever discipline um, to uh, you know and then places them in rural areas uh, to work with rural communities to bring about change you know that's that's what pradhan does so that that's been my sort of project as it were i i you know i had a colleague who vijay mahajan uh, the two of us uh, initiated this idea how has that grown can you give me some idea of the dimensions of it or the scale of your activity well it's now i think it works with maybe about 400000 uh, poor households um, uh, in you know in seven states across central india mostly with tribal communities um it has i think maybe i, I retired from pradhan in uh, 2007 and we had a system that if you turn when you turn 60 you move on you do something else but uh, don't don't stay on um that was itself an innovation in because people who start to set up social enterprises or ngos or whatever uh they leave horizontally they, they don't retire they stay on as long as they are alive uh so you know we said that no we want to be a professional organization and therefore there should be systems and rules and procedures and so on and so forth and one of the things to do is that uh you know you don't sort of become like a uh, you know a banyan tree um, and and you move on and other people take responsibility so i don't know the exact details but um the details are available on their website pradhan.net p r a d a n um they work with about i think 400000 households um there must be about 400 plus uh, professionals these are people who had a university education some are engineers some have studied agriculture some might, might be economists some might be mbas veterinarians uh, various disciplines people who had a university education up to the sort of masters level um or a baccalaureate in uh, professions engineering and agriculture and veterinary sciences uh so that's the kind of uh, scale of their operations plus you know um you know, a lot of people who join pradhan they you know that's their sort of first job as it were uh pradhan recruits people from uh, across campuses they visit some 50 60 campuses every year um get people on board give them a one year hands on training where they have to uh, spend time with uh, actually live in a village with some poor household 
and also learn the you know tricks of the trade as it were how to organize people how to uh, develop ideas and, and stuff like that um, uh, and you know some people stay on for life uh, you know, there must be you know more than 100 people in Pradhan now who've been there for 20 years and you know will continue till they retire uh, there are others who move on after you know four or five years of working in some remote you know uh, village uh, they you know may want to change a career and you know might get married or whatever for whatever reason uh, so over the last 30 odd years maybe some 2000 people uh, 2000 professionals have um, given some part of their time maybe 3 years 5 years 4 years uh, to working in villages and about 450 or 400 are still on board and every year Pradhan keeps getting some 60 odd more people on board and some will continue to work and some more some would move on so that's that's basically the and there are about I think a dozen or maybe 15 uh, other smaller civil society organizations that uh, people who left Pradhan uh, would have set up. So that's the kind of the scale uh, of the work that Pradhan does. And it's generally accused of having brought about a degree of professionalism in the civil society sector, in the NGO sector uh, in India. Right. You mentioned the innovation of leaving the senior manager, the person running the organization to leave in, at, at 60. What other innovations can you point to, I guess, in the context of the challenges of, of building an organization like that in India? Yeah, when, you know, when we started, you know, we would, we would be sort of, you know, getting people, um, you know, our, you know, our belief was that, you know, people like me, people who had a good education actually need to go and work in the community uh, and not be just managers who work through an extension staff, you know, a poorly trained uh, people who uh, who neither have the empathy nor the knowledge resources uh, necessary for bringing change in uh, poor communities. So initially, we used to you know we would, would get people in dribs and drabs. You know, somebody would you know sort of uh, hear about Pradhan uh, through our individual networks, through campuses, and say, okay, and you know, I want to try this out. Uh, come on board, and you know people would try. Uh, and we found that you know that wasn't a very effective way of uh, uh, building an organization, um, especially in a, you know, for professionals to be working in rural areas for an engineer or for an MBA or even an economist or, you know, a social science uh, postgraduate to be working in some remote tribal area, that's not what is considered to be a good career. You know, the expectation is that the expectation of the society, of the uh, professionals themselves and of the parents and uh, is that, you know, you've got an MBA and now you get a good hotshot job in some firm and make, you know, oodles of money. Uh, but so if you go out and work, so getting people on board was one of the big uh, challenges. Uh, coupled with that was that, you know, nobody's really trained on uh, how to work in, you know, with uh, rural communities or with poor communities in general. Um, you you know how to do better agriculture, you know how to uh, build bridges or roads or how to run a company. But if you say, well, you know, how, how do you go and organize a community? How do you uh, stimulate change in a community? 
unfortunately, uh, there isn't really any education program which uh, trains people for that. So, you know, A, how do you get more people on board? B, how do you get them to have the necessary knowledge and skills uh, and orientation uh, to be, you know, to be effective community workers? So we we put together a what we used to call a uh, an apprenticeship program. So we go to campuses. We, you know, this was started about seven, eight years after Pradhan had been set up in, in 90, uh, 1983, uh, whereby we have a one-year structured uh, learning by doing program. Uh, so we go and recruit people from campuses through a very elaborate process of, uh, of uh, screening people, not only for their uh, academic performance, but also for their um, you know, for their you know sense of uh, you know, for their motivation. Why why do you want to join us? Um, uh, and they are put through a one year guided practice. Then they become um, sort of as it as it were staff of Pradhan or, or executives of Pradhan. Um, that is a you know nobody else does that. You know, so in that sense, even today, uh, it's probably uh, you know a unique. Uh, you know, uh, offering by Pradhan, uh, whereby um, a university graduate actually uh, spends time in a in a village. It includes staying with a family in a village for uh, you know for a month, um, and then learning um, you know various skills under the guidance of somebody who's got more experience of working in the community. So that, to me, is an, is an innovation. Right. Why are rural communities so important? And what are the challenges they particularly uh, face? For a country like India, you know, we still have you know, the, the 2011 census, that's the latest data that's available, uh, says about 69% of uh, Indians still are in, you know, still live in villages. And there are many in cities who are actually whose roots are back home in 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 some village. I mean, in the sense that you know, if there is there are five uh, you know members in the family, two may be working in a city, the other three might be still in a village, and these two who are working in the city think of the village as their place. Uh, so for all their social connections, for getting married or uh, you know any rights and rituals, they would still think of the village as their home. So India is you know even now continues to be uh, a hugely rural society and it's not uh, uh, going to change you know overnight so or and you know way back in uh, 83 uh, some almost 80 percent uh, indians uh, lived in uh, in villages so working with rural societies rural communities to help them uh, you know you know create a better place for themselves to have a a better source of livelihood to have a sense of uh, involvement in governance. Uh, I think those are big challenges uh, for us. So that's why it is it is important. And somehow historically, rural has not been seen as kind of the central uh, place of work for uh, educated people. You know, the, the more important things were you know, running the governments and running companies and you know doing research. You know. That's where it was thought that educated people should be going, not you know, not to the uh, boondocks, not to the villages. And and what kind of problems do they have particularly? Well, whole host of uh, challenges. Uh, livelihoods itself is a challenge. Um, there is you know, if you look we, again, you know, when you go to a village, um, 
I don't know, you know, things, I mean, India is so vast and so complex. So if you are in a tribal uh, community, uh, in, in the community of ethnic tribes, they may have one set of problems. If you are in some other location, there might be some other issues. So there would be one big challenge is livelihoods, stable, durable livelihoods, which are, uh, which provide them adequate means to not only, you know, function today, but also be able to improve their future. Uh, there are issues, if you look at, let's say, women, um, that's a huge, uh, you know, they continue to remain marginalized, their involvement in, uh, you know, they, while they, they're overloaded with work, but they are, they have limited say in their communities, in their villages, in, in their own homes. Um, so there are issues of pertaining to women, which are uh, more more unique than uh, general village development issues. There might be issues pertaining to health. Um, there, there and there are issues pertaining to effective participation in governance. You know, these are some of the challenges that that continue to be there. Yes, yes, I, I can imagine uh, multifaceted, complex problems. And and you talked about the training program that you have developed over time. What are some of the insights that you've had as to how to work with rural communities and how to create change? One of the things is that, you know, you shouldn't be going there with some preconceived notions as to this is what is needed to be done. You know, I think you need to be able to, you need to have an open mind uh, needs to be willing to learn, uh, understand the context. That's something that is, I think, uh, uh, very, very uh, critical. Um, and uh, you know, I and on, you know, have this basic belief that um, people uh, have it in them. People can change their lives. People can learn new things. People have knowledge. People have ideas. Uh, so they. Uh, and I think one of the sort of most uh, uh, interesting and important uh, lesson has been that while, uh, you know, skills, knowledge, resources, these are all important, uh, somewhere what actually really sort of triggers durable change is people's own sense of agency, you know, that, that I matter. Uh, you know, India is a, uh, is a you know, deeply hierarchical uh, society. So, if you take, for example, um, uh, women, um, you know, they may think that you know they they have no access to the world outside of their home, um, and they think that this is how you know they're conditioned to be thinking that this is how it, it is going to be. When you organize them and uh, into small groups, and they are then able to let's say go to the to a bank or learn some new trick, new technique. Uh, even about things like agriculture or livestock rearing or about health or, or what have you, uh, suddenly they, you know, their sense of who they are, um, what they are capable of doing and, be, you know, what they are capable of becoming, uh, that undergoes a change. And once that happens, they can set their own agenda, they can, um, you know, create their own energy and they can mobilize resources. Uh, so I think, you know, an, an important uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, as, a, as a development worker, uh, this is this has been a, a huge, huge, huge learning for me, especially working with women. Um, you know, you you organize women into groups, and uh, um, and if once the group sort of begins to meet periodically, and 
begins to you know we organize small savings groups and and what have you and then uh, soon these women begin to take up issues that directly affect them for example uh, it might be you know beating of uh, wives uh, it might be uh, alcohol abuse uh, it might be children's education uh, it might be atrocities by uh, police or you know uh, it might be getting cheated in the market they take it upon themselves and even you know you don't you don't have to do anything you know then they take charge of these these matters and uh, carry it forward so i think you know if one is thinking of a transformational change uh one needs to focus on um, how do you get people how do you get people to come to believe that you know to feel that they they matter that they have capabilities that they can change their own uh, own future to me that's been a, a huge huge learning that sounds fascinating great work and also it seems to suggest that the process in itself produces change there's been well various phases i guess of microfinance for example you know and people bring various different kind of financial education schemes or things like that to communities yeah. but with a very specific focus maybe on finance or something like that but i get the impression from what you're saying is that just bringing people together in the first instance that that these things will then come out of that as a reflection of their own needs so you don't need to go right. with a preconceived set of tools that you want to give people to liberate the community but actually more just work on the process of bringing them together and and you know helping them uh, stimulate them to uh, you know to you know think about their own lives uh, you know set up goals and so you know once and help them go through experiences you know, for example women in villages would you know would have had no opportunity to um, meet with the government functionary um, and and uh, you know present their problems or make demands or whatever if you you know organize them and you sort of stimulated them to take you know to do that uh, and if they've been able to do it once then suddenly their sense that hey you know we can do it uh, you know or women would you know normally not have been to a bank and you organize them into a group you know the group goes and opens a bank account and ask the bank to give a loan uh, and uh, if they even if they are not successful the very fact that they were able to go and you know talk to a bank manager and uh, uh, you know that that experience so i think you know organizing and then helping people go through experiences which which sort of stimulate their feeling that hey you know this is possible so i think that that's the you know that's the process part of it yes absolutely the other side of this i suppose is the it's quite labor intensive the scale of the well problem or challenge or scale of you know rural number of rural communities that probably could benefit from this kind of work must be immense how did you approach the question of building the organization and thinking about you know how big you want to become relative to the scale of the challenge i mean that's that that remains that remains a challenge and that's actually uh while you know as i said but some 15 or 20 uh, people from pradhan have gone out and set up their own initiatives which you know follow some of the things that they've learned you know, while working in in pradhan um but one of the things we've tried to do and it's sort of been my 
it's still in, in some ways an unfinished uh, agenda and, and I can I remain engaged with it and I hope others would uh, also come on board is to actually uh, also have a larger supply of uh, um, people uh, people like myself people like others working in Pradhan who are a motivated to work with the um, you know with the you know, poorer people um, city you know urban or rural is 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 not that uh, you know that critical but rural is much larger and much more complex so I focus on that um, by organizing a an education program at a university in Delhi there is a um, um, state university called Ambedkar University of Delhi and we um, about four five years ago we started a master's program there um, it's still very small just get 20 people every year uh, and it's a two-year program where they uh, spend um, you know about half of that time in rural settings in an existing development project as of now mostly with Pradhan uh, and the other half is for uh, classroom education. So they learn a bit about society, about you know political theories, about ecology, about um, you know managing natural resources, um, stuff like that. So it's a combination of theory and practice, um, with the idea that you know we need a, a larger supply of people um, who can be development practitioners. So we actually call it a master's program in development practice as opposed to development studies, which has been going on for a long, uh, for many, many decades, you know, the IDS, Sussex being you know, the pioneer. Um, so we, you know, the, the idea is that there are more people like that. Some of them would start their own initiatives. Some would join other uh, existing NGOs, civil society uh, initiatives. Uh, so that's, that's the uh, expectation. Plus, you know, one also engages with, uh, you know, with other practitioners, with other actors, the state being one of the big actors. So people from Pradhan would uh, collaborate with the state, would try to influence policies, um, work with the corporate world. You know, this is a big um, corporate uh, social responsibility uh, program in India now, which is mandate, you know, that the law mandates uh, some three years ago, the law was passed that every uh, company has to spend percent of their profits uh, for uh, developmental uh, initiatives so you know that's that's how you sort of try to build um, connections so that you don't you know you, you don't take it upon yourself that you are the only one who's going to do things but many others would do but it still mm -hmm. remains a you know I would say a drop in the ocean the, the challenges are huge Right, that's very interesting. I spoke to Jagdish Rao earlier for the podcast about you know his work and Foundation for Ecological Security. I'm just yeah. wondering to what extent do you engage with you know you talked about sustainability, sustainability issues in yeah. local communities, and how big an issue is that in India generally? It is a you know it is a huge uh, huge issue because um, as you know, you know the rural society is, is still principally dependent upon natural resources, land, water, livestock, trees, and you know, crops, and so on and so forth. Uh, and um, so how to, uh, you know, how to make use of these resources uh, uh, in a, so that, you know, the, the tomorrow the, the, the resources will be able to support more than, uh, more people than they are able to support today. Uh, to me, that's, you know, that's what 
is basic to sustainability that uh, you uh, you know you you enhance the the capacity of the uh, the planet to take you know to bear more people um, rather than uh, you know reducing it so um, that's in pradhan also that's a huge uh, huge program of you know improving the productivity of um, you know water land livestock and and so on and so forth that's that's uh, an important uh, dimension of our work you talked about the change in levels of rural life in india over the the time from you've been involved in this area how is the pace of urbanization because you do hear a lot of people talking about these mega cities and more and more people leaving the land and going to going to live in cities and not always with the favorable outcomes how is that all proceeding in india that is a you know there i think urbanization is um is uh, going on quite rapidly um <clears throat> i don't have the numbers but um also what is happening is that you know the the younger generation um uh, people you know born after the let's say mid 80s or 90s onwards um i think they, they there is a you know, the, the 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 willingness to continue to work with land and and live in villages i think that is uh, that is now uh, much lower um, you know some years ago there was a research done by somebody who which said that 40% of the children of farmers don't want to be farmers um, and i'm sure the number has now gone up to 60% or something i don't know the number but uh, basically um, you know the, the city does have a huge attraction um, the the uh, you know uh, you know infrastructure in villages the services available in villages are quite poor compared to what is available in cities though if you come to the city without any skills and and capabilities to make good um, your life in a you know in a city slum is probably worse than uh, it would be in a village but you know when you are in the village you think that the other side of the uh you know fence is is greener and so that city is today a huge huge uh, attraction you know, compared to my generation of course i am two generations away now than uh, from today's uh, youngsters uh, so yeah that's that's so more than just the physical uh, movement of people from uh, village to the city uh, the you know the the kind of aspiration uh to uh, to go to the city and to to make it in the city uh is very very widespread today uh and there is a very large population of people who are floating uh, you know the people throw up various kinds of numbers uh, i've heard a number of 200 million people on the move that means uh, migrating to cities for short period of time six months three months four months uh, and then you know so one foot uh, in the village and one foot in the city Uh, you know that that's also there absolutely absolutely i just thinking about the time frame which you've been involved in community services and and the work that you're doing how has 
do you think the social innovation changed in India, the, the pace of social innovation, I mean, social entrepreneurship, the, the idea being, I guess, that organizations try and make revenues that they're not necessarily relying on either the state or, you know, donors in that way. There's a particular area of growth around social entrepreneurship in that way. Has that progressed in India? What's happening there? Well, one of the sort of big um, changes is the uh, the finance, microfinance, using finance as a, a means of uh, bringing change. That is, I think, uh, very large. Um, you know, somewhere in mid-90s it started, and today uh, there are so many um, microfinance companies, and even otherwise the banking sector itself, and, and the, uh, you know, the sta- states, you know, sponsored or policy sponsored um, growth of the uh, rural financial sector uh, is, is, you know, quite uh, dramatic over the last, I would say, 20 years or so. Um, in addition to that, I think use of technology is, uh, is increasing. People are, because, you know, mobiles and, uh, you know, internet connectivity, so that, you know, there is more use of that. Uh, I think there is a um, much larger, what should I say, I think you find many more NGOs today, um, you know, employing, uh, you know, professional staff, you know, the, the I remember uh, during the 80s, in fact, in the in initial years, we used to actually get people to join us and then we would place them in other NGOs because uh, you know, we, you know, we were all new to this work, and we thought that that might be a better way. Uh, whereas today, so if you just look at the number of um, professionals, whether engineers or MBAs or uh, other people who had, uh, you know, university level education, uh, the number of such people working in uh, rural communities through NGOs, I think, you know, must have gone up by. Uh, you know, several orders. So I think, you know, these are some of the changes that that uh, uh, one sees over the years. And also the connection with the market, um, you know, so enabling poor people uh, produce for the market. I think those are some of the changes that uh, that have taken place. Are you optimistic looking forward? Yes, I am. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I am. Well, I'm also concerned. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the one of the big challenges that we have is the mismatch between aspirations and capabilities. Uh, that's a major uh, challenge. Uh, and, um, you know, there are no shortcuts to that. The, and, and, you know, when you have a very large, uh, you know, aspirational population, um, which whose, whose uh, capabilities don't match what their aspirations are, uh, that can be you know that can be problematic socially. Uh, I think there is also I don't find many people though I hear more of it than uh, now than I did let's say during the 80s. So I myself have been saying it for for you know almost since I began thinking about development that you know what is the uh, what kind of you know model of development? What do we what do we understand here by a society that is within quotes developed? You know, is it like 
uh, the US? Is it like the UK or the European countries uh, where, you know, the, the levels of consumption, uh, the levels of automation, uh, you know, the urbanization. So is India going to find, um, you know, its future uh, in becoming like another America or, or do we have to come up with something different whereby, you know, there is happiness, there is a feeling of, um, you know, being, you know, being counted, uh, but the levels of consumption are, are not what they are in the US or in UK or in Europe. I mean, uh, you know, Europe itself would be much more modest compared to the US. Uh, but if we are even to compete, you know, you know, try to get the level of consumption that, that the Europeans have today, uh, I don't think there are enough resources. I don't think the planet can bear those uh, those burdens. Uh, so, you know, there are issues of that nature of what is the, so, you know, which are kind of macro uh, issues, societal issues, uh, to an extent philosophical issues, uh, where, you know, is, you know, small so you know social innovation uh, may not have much impact you know that's i think so that's the part i worry about uh, as far as you know uh, getting more people to go and work in with rural communities or with any poor community uh, that i think is going to continue and it continues to expand it has expanded it will continue to expand but the much larger challenge is uh, what you know, what kind of a future do we aspire for, which is uh, both uh, sustainable and attainable? That's, I think, is a, is a challenge. You're right. You highlight very important questions there. I think the ecological footprint of the industrial activity of, of the developed world is so high, and it's not sustainable for the, for the planet as a whole, not to mention just for the developed countries to continue at the pace they are. And there, there are big questions about the degrees to which, I guess, economic models take these into account, you know, sustainability. And also, as you mentioned, you know, the robots and, you know, on the horizon, these labor-saving devices, which are very substantial and could have a major impact. And they really do raise very big questions about the kind of model of society. I don't know whether there are leading thinkers in India or models, you know, that are emerging. Certainly you see models like cooperatives and things like that, which are some potential, I suppose, in ways of ownership and commitment and sharing and so forth. But also it's important models of consumption, how that operates. I mean, it ties very much into the sustainability questions of, you know, a disposable society, disposable right. products, things that, you know, we expect to throw away in the obsolescence. And, and if you don't meet the expectations, then, you know, uh, you know India is a, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's an experiment. You know, there's, uh, there's never been a uh, 1.3 billion strong uh, democracy, uh, which is, you know, which is managed to govern itself um, and where, you know, people are willing to accept that, hey, uh, you know, this is the kind of level that is feasible, and therefore let's uh, let's reduce our you know let's sort of moderate our uh, expectations, and uh, let's all be players in it. You know, that's I think that that's a huge, huge, huge challenge. So that that's the part which worries me. Uh, the as far as uh, you know, social initiatives by 
people like me and others are concerned i think that's that's will continue and it's it's growing it's been growing and i think it will continue to grow and what do you do now you left pradhan i guess um, yeah. i well i do i remain engaged with a few other uh, you know organizations which are doing similar work i you know do some development consulting work because i don't have a pension so i need to make a living also um that's that's what i'm involved with another trust which is uh, you know works on with works on you know uh, you know organizing women but also uh, has an eye care program um, so that's that's what i do i remain busy with keeping busy more less, yeah more or less with the same kind of stuff that i i started out with excellent well thank you so much deep for taking the time to speak to yeah. me today and speak to the inspiring social entrepreneurs it's been a great opportunity to hear your thoughts and a great dialogue and i wish you the very best in the future thank you thank you very much thank you for listening to the inspiring social entrepreneur podcast i hope you found this interview inspiring please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts